This year has been one for the ages. Frequently contrary to expectations, sometimes to all expectations. Life, death, a lot of growth, regrets, changing our minds, reactions, counter-reactions. What a year. And I'm only just talking about this podcast. Movies have their Oscars, television has its Emmys, music has its Grammys, and Broadway its Tonys, while podcasts have... I'm not really sure what podcasts have, but the one podcast I know best, anyway, this podcast, has its besties. You deserve it. We deserve it. And all the stars are back. Looking back at this year's work together, looking ahead to 2023, all tied up in a bow for you. The besties of 2022, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to this, possibly the most special edition of Rule Breaker Investing this year. Cameos for many of my best guests this year, reflecting back and looking forward. It's our besties of 2022. I've identified 10 of my favorite podcasts that we brought to you this year. And these are not ordered, by the way. These are not ranked in any way, shape, or form. But looking back and thinking through the roster of the 50 new podcasts we brought you so far this year, I thought, what are 10 that stand out to me, I hope to you, and why not talk briefly about them and, when possible, have some voices return to share some reflections, both about the year that was and the year that will be. Now, again, these are not ranked. And of the 40 podcasts that will not be included here, I wouldn't want anybody to think. I didn't think they were really great, too. I love all my children. So we have an author from August that I'm bringing in this week, but it doesn't mean that the other authors in August weren't each spectacular because they were. But you can only fit so much in a besties of 2022. And just like the Oscars and Emmys and Grammys and Tonys, in the end, the besties have to pick only one. Or here, actually, only, only 10. And of course, a big reason for doing the besties every year is to encourage you, dear listener, if you didn't hear one of these 10 podcasts, in fact, to go back and listen to our besties. Now, before I get started, I want to mention next week's podcast, and that's the Market Cap Game Show. Next week's edition will include one exciting new rules tweak and is guaranteed to bring you some foolishness and a lot of holiday cheers. So get the wood in the fireplace, invite the in-laws over, time for warm cider, traditional or hard, and light it up with us next week with the Market Cap Game Show Holiday Edition to help you close out the year. That's the second last podcast of this year, but let me in particular also mention our last podcast of the year, which is, of course, your mailbag. Now, the reason I'm underlining that is because we're Recording both of those podcasts I just mentioned early next week. That way, Rick and I can enjoy our holidays. You can too, knowing that we're bringing you awesome podcasts to close the year, but we're doing them ahead of time, so we have extra time with family. And thus, if you would like to be featured on the year-end mailbag, you need to write to us right away. We are recording that next week, so we'll need to hear from you now or right after finishing this week's podcast or over the weekend. Anyway, did I get it right with Besties Picks? Did I overlook a gem? Did one of my all-star guests 
improve your life this year? And do you maybe have a story about that? Well, the email address is rbi at fool.com, rbi at fool.com. And of course, you can also tweet us at RBI Podcast. So to summarize again, next week, the Market Cap Game Show, the week after the year-end mailbag. But we need to hear from you right away if you'd like to be considered for that mailbag. And now, ladies and gentlemen and fools everywhere, the red carpet has been rolled out. You are invited. And we welcome you to this year's Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, Besties, complete with our own theme music chosen specially, of course, by my producer, Rick Engdahl. Rick, thank you for another great year. I know the process for selecting the theme music for our besties every year is multi-layered. At times, it can be onerous. One of the bigger challenges in the world of entertainment, really, the besties theme music each year. Rick, can you briefly detail how that all came together this year and what do you have for us? Well, I'm not going to spoil anything, so I can't tell you what I have coming. I wouldn't want to spoil it for anybody, least of all myself. And how it comes together, um, there's a mindfulness practice. I sit down with my instruments, and I certainly never would think of like searching any sort of, I don't know, stock music <laughs> site or anything like that. Um, that's definitely not how I do it. Certainly not, Rick. Well, and I, I don't think you've composed any original music for our besties this year, but those who can't see Rick, and no one can because this is an audio podcast, but I see Rick through Zencaster every week to do this podcast, and behind him are about four different keyboards, a guitar or two, maybe, I don't even know, some Renaissance instrument somewhere in your house, Rick. You are a very talented musician and photographer, by the way, but I think what you're saying in so many words is this is not original music that you're about to theme us in with this year. Well, you know, there are some samples that I might use in, in my compositions. Bestie number one. Well, the first bestie this year goes to Market Got You Down. That was originally published on March 16th of this year. Now, the intent was with Market Got You Down to speak to you and me, really. Often on this podcast, I'm talking to me too about how it feels to watch your stocks lose money, sometimes, sometimes really fast. Sometimes even to get cut in half once every decade or so, which is pretty much how things have been for me over the last 18 months. And with that podcast, I, I'll remind you of three quick points I made. I'm not going to illustrate them here because it's all there in the March 16th Market Got You Down podcast. But the three quick points to re-mention here are that the pain of loss is three times the joy of gain. And while that's true of human psychology, in investing, it's actually not true at all. So don't let the mindset that all of us have evolved over ages as human beings, always worrying about the downside to control your investing decisions because the joy of gain, the math of it will show for any investor over the long term. The math of it will show the joy of gain is infinite times the pain of loss. And you need to be reminded of that, especially in a year like 2022. I also mentioned that podcast, The Picking Market Highs, and then ultimate market lows, and saying things like, it took 18 years to get back to even. You'll sometimes hear market historians or other market articles talk about that. 
that totally misses such an important point, which is that over that 18 years where you picked the very highest high just before things hit some bad low and took a while to get back to even, over those 18 years, you and I are, I hope, should be at least investing all the way through. So over those 18 years, we are way, way past even if we just kept investing foolishly every two weeks. Don't be misled by these ideas that you know it's going to take forever even to get back to even. Not true. Finally, I mentioned Pascal's wager. Some of my listeners will know Blaise Pascal far better than I. I'm not going to go deep on this one, but it's always seemed smart with Pascal anyway. To me, to wager for the market, to stay invested because we're betting on a good future. And by the way, if we're wrong in this Pascal's market wager, if we're wrong, our money and our stock market money won't make much of a difference anyway. So if the world is all coming to naught, then investing won't matter much at all. Therefore, we should invest with the assumption the world will get better. And by the way, that's been an awfully good bet to make for a few centuries now anyway. So I don't know if that provides you any respite, any solace, even when the market has gotten you down. But I'm here to remind you of all of the good times, and they certainly far outnumber the bad times. So why was market got you down a bestie? Well, I think I just illustrated why. I hope it's going to be a timeless reminder, the kind of podcast you can go back and listen to during any bad time or pass along to a friend in need of some empathy. It should stand the test of time, I hope. And part of what I did with the opening for that podcast, where I spoke directly to our market drops, the pain of that, the mindset we need, the opening of that podcast, which sounded freshly written for March 16th of 2022, well, capital F, foolishly, I actually had simply pulled from a previous podcast I did seven years before when the market was indeed in its own decline. I concluded we've seen market declines before. We are seeing them right now. We certainly are. And they will happen again in future. That's why I'm concluding it's not to be feared, really. Certainly should not ruin your love of investing when markets decline as they have these last 18 months or change your mindset or most of all, your approach of saving and investing. Saving and investing, rinse and repeat your whole life long Last thing I'll note about that podcast is it was the podcast when I believe I first invoked my big line for this year, reiterated as sort of an uber theme any number of times on Rule Breaker Investing since. And that was the phrase, and I ended the podcast with that phrase, pulled from Pixar. Thank you again, Dory. Just keep swimming. So yeah, Market Got You Down is a bestie for 2022. The second bestie? goes to The Power of Regret with Dan Pink, originally published on February 2nd of this year. Now, for his book, The Power of Regret, Dan Pink fomented an entire project, his regret project, where he had thousands of people around the world submit their biggest regrets. And Dan used that repository of human knowledge and emotion to spin out a fantastic book that speaks to and helps us understand The Power of Regret. Now, if you haven't read the book yet, put it on your 2023 reading list. You'll learn that more of our fellow humans have regrets of inaction versus regrets of action. And that is in part because regrets of action, when we do something and screw up, Dan explains, well, we can then go back and make up for that, right? You can say you're sorry, but there is no such way to fix regrets of inaction. 
You'll also learn that you really shouldn't say things like, hey, I got no regrets. That's how I live my life. No regrets. And you'll learn about the four types of regrets, foundation regrets, boldness regrets, moral regrets, and connection regrets. I even learned in that podcast as Dan broke down regrets into a taxonomy of four categories that he admires taxonomy itself and has a stuffed, at least he did back then, had a stuffed doll of Charles Darwin on his desk. Power of Regret was not just a bestie for the excellent work enabling more human flourishing, which when I think about it is maybe what I care about most, but also reintroduces us to the wonderful personality of Dan Pink, a perfect mix of intelligence and fun. And so I am delighted to tell you now that Dan Pink is back for a cameo and celebration of this year's bestie for the power of regret. Dan, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you. Thank you, David. And of course, I am joined by my stuffed Charles Darwin doll who will be whispering answers into my ear. And, you know, I wish we were, I often wish we were a video podcast. We probably should be at some point. So listeners cannot see that remarkable doll, but Charles Darwin has not much hair up top, no. uh, a ton, not just beard, but like, okay, Santa Claus, I would say, first of all, Santa yeah. Claus without the red cap. Yeah, there's actually sort of in this this Charles Darwin doll, he has a very long beard and he yes. has this kind of, he has this vest and these kind of cool shoes. He's almost like, he sort of has a hipster vibe going if you look at him. <laughs> Well, Dan, you are the first of a cavalcade of guest, I'm going to call you a personality or guest personalities mm. on this week's podcast. And I'm going to ask each of my guests two questions. The first is, Dan, what's one reflection that you have now about that podcast we did together? Now, I have to admit, it was almost a year ago. Your memories, I hope, better than mine. I will point out for numerologists, it was on 02022022, which is really weird when you think about it. But Dan, what's one reflection you have now about that podcast we did together? Well, I, one of them is that I didn't realize that you counted in base three. So that was... <laughs> that, I just, zero, one, two, zero, one, two. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I, I, I don't know if I have a reflection, David, about that podcast per se, but I do have, I guess, a reflection about doing that just doing that podcast because, you know, as you know, you and I have known each other for a long time and we've talked about a lot of the books that I've written and a lot of the stuff that you've done. And so to me, it's like, wow, okay, life is moving on. And like, here we get to, we get to go back to the fool and talk to the fool. And for me, it's like just a, a great marker in time. The writing books gives me a, an opportunity to reacquaint with uh, all the people at the fool, including you. So that, that's what Love I remember it. most of anything else. Thank you, Dan. You know, you can't put your foot in the same river, but it is kind of the same river. Both are true. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 a different river, but it's still a good river. It's a valuable river. It's a it's a rewarding river. It's an icy cold river stocked with all kinds of great fish. <laughs> Do you have any regret about the book, The Power of Regret? I don't think so. I don't have any deep regrets. I do. I actually, I do. I do. I do. I feel like the the, the final third of the book. I wish I had organized it in a different way. Oh. Uh, as I've gone out and, and a slightly different way. As I've gone out and talked about it and had interviews about it and tried to explain it to people, I realized that there was a better way to explain it. Now, the good news here is that with books, you often you you can sometimes get a second bite at the apple. So when the paperback edition comes out, uh, I will likely make some small changes during that to that back third uh, nice. to reflect some of the things that I've learned since the book came out. 
Thank you, Dan. That's great. And we, we look forward to the paperback. Is that headed our way in 2023, by the way, or is there... Uh, I is think it, still we don't have an exact date yet. It should be It should be sometime in 2023, probably late 2023. Nice. All right. And my second question for my guest this week, Dan Pink, what's a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction that you have for the year 2023? So a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction. Okay. So I'm going to go for prediction. And I, mm. and again, it's not that great of a prediction because I would have made this prediction a month ago. And I feel like <laughs> in the last week, like the, the, the world kind of caught up, but, um, I am convinced that this year, um, the world of generative AI, a world of AI that is actually creating things, not finding things, not ma- finding answers that already exist but truly creating things that have never been created, I think that's a big deal. Um, and and this, I think this is the year that it's really going to crest. And all of the, the jabbering about the metaverse or about, about uh, crypto is going to seem pale in comparison to the effect that generative AI is going to have on how we work and how we live. My son was already on this, and you're talking about the last month because of, I think, chat GPT, among others. My son had already registered. I registered earlier this week and chatted briefly with chat GPT. And one thing a friend of mine said is, you're witnessing right now in live time the death of the college essay, which is an interesting question. So you agree, Dan. So when an AI can write a pretty well-written, convincing essay of whatever length we specify for it, even sometimes specifying a genre that we would like it to be produced in, all of a sudden, if you can't tell the difference between that and a human essay, wow. Well, uh, I'll see your son and raise you my son. Um, the uh, My son is a sophomore in college, and and I told him, it's like uh, a couple of months ago, um, y- you should be checking this out. And my son is also a, a journalist. He works for the college newspaper. I said, I'm sure there are students at your school who are using this to write their papers. And, and finally, you know, it's like, okay, whatever, whatever, dad. And, um, and finally, and, and so I sent him a, um, I had a, a free link to one of the many, many generative AI services, not chat GPT, but built uh-huh. on similar technology. It's called Lex, L-E-X. And one of the things that you can do with Lex is that you can, you can write a paragraph or something like that on anything you want. And then at the end of the paragraph, uh, type plus, 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 and it will generate the next paragraph or next two paragraphs. All right. Wow. And, and, um, and so I say, hey, just check it out to see what I mean. And I didn't hear from him. And then two days later, I get a text from him. OMFG. I just typed <laughs> in the first three sentences of my art history paper and got several paragraphs and they're not bad. So... Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. I, I have the same kind of, um, I don't know, almost kind of visceral, uh, in, in my bloodstream, uh, almost physical sensation that I had when I first saw email, um, you know, like in 1989 and somebody was sitting at a desk and like typing a note to somebody who lived in Seattle or something like, you know, somebody in Connecticut typing a note to someone in Seattle. And I'm like, wait a second, he just got that right away. And incredible. You can just do it. And like, wow, this is a big deal. You know, and so that's how I, uh, you know, or even in, I feel like that ChatGPT is essentially the Netscape Navigator moment for generative AI. 
early days, but we basically will look back and say the world changed forever that month or that year. I know it's yep. been built. And, and, the- and we'll get to a point where we can't, you know, again, do the counterfactual. Let's use our the same uh, cognitive powers that, that allow us to experience regret, which is counterfactual thinking. Do a counterfactual. Imagine doing your job or my job or any of the work today without email, without the web, without search engines. Without smartphones, it's so wo- it's so woven into the fabric of our lives that we can scarcely imagine life without it. That's where this generative AI is going. That is an outstanding prediction, and it is it is more likely given the last few weeks. But you were saying that before it was cool to even point these things out. And listen, I was using some of these generative. I was posting like like in, like images that I generated using there's right. there's um there's stable diffusion. There's there's Dolly that came out um you know six or eight months ago. I, I just think that that the the I can't remember who said this, but somebody said um this pretty good line. He said, if you want to see what the next big thing is, look for what's been failing for the last 20 years. And, and, and we sort, and you know what I studied actually in, in college, I studied linguistics, um, in the days before there was even a sort of full fledged discipline of cognitive science. And even then we were talking about AI, artificial, Oh, it's just, we can't get it right. We just can't get it, you know? Mm. And so, and we've been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And suddenly, it, it happens. I, we saw the same thing with, with like solar power. Solar power failed for 40 years. And now suddenly we're going to have more electricity generated uh, in two years, more electricity generated with solar than with coal. Mm. Remarkable. So, Dan, in closing, can you either confirm or deny <laughs> that your paperback tweaked edition of The Power of Regret will be fully written and edited by Dan Pink? I can confirm that now. <laughs> I want to offer a co- a footnote because the thing is, it's like it's an exist. It's a it's an interesting kind of epistemological metaphysical question. So if I, in the previous version of the book, if I use spell check to correct spelling errors, mm. was that fully written by me? Good point. Nah, I don't know. I'll let I'll let uh, all your millions of listeners debate that over <laughs> the holiday dining like the- table. That feels like the perfect mic drop moment to say thank you again, Dan, and goodbye. I look forward to seeing you in 2023. Full on. Uh, a pleasure, always. All right. Well, the third bestie goes to five times I changed my mind. Volume one, originally published on July 20th of this year, the height of the summer. Now, the intent of five times I changed my mind was to be real, to be human to draw a contrast between conservatives who conserve and progressives who progress and realize that it isn't one or the other. I would never give my vote to just one, not the other, because those are two important human dynamics, keeping what is conserving and making something new progressing. And I think true wisdom lies in knowing when to conserve and knowing when to progress. And this first episode in the series, because after all, I called it Five Times I Changed My Mind, Volume 1, this first episode in the series was really an opportunity for me to share out key times when I completely reversed my beliefs and or approach to life. When I, do you remember this phrase? Flip-flopped, which I think is to be celebrated. And I know you, dear listener, have done the same and can look back on times in your life 
when you thought one thing and then you went through a door, whatever shape that door was, wherever you'd been before you went through that door, you went through that door and ended up in a different place where everything had changed forever. One example from that podcast, one of the five times I changed my mind, for investors, I was speaking to shorting. I initially thought shorting was completely un-American and nobody should do it until all of a sudden I found myself doing it. One of the companies I shorted successfully, of course, Trump Hotels and Casino Resorts, a very successful short for The Motley Fool, well before there were any political implications. None were intended back at the time. It's just a very bad business at the time. But for a young guy who thought shorting was wrong, all of a sudden to be shorting and shorting successfully online at keyword fool on AOL, later www.fool.com on the web, to all of a sudden be shorting publicly was a huge reversal for me. And just to continue changing my mind, I don't think I've shorted in 15 or 20 years since, because while I still really appreciate it, after all, if you go back and listen to the podcast, you'll be reminded that it's really just the same thing as buying in opposite order. In both cases, you're hoping to buy low, as they say, and eventually sell high. But in the case of shorting, you're hoping to be selling high and then later buying low. The actions are agnostic if you're a market maker or the stock market overall, that we're all just buyers and sellers anyway at different points. And yet, at the same time, in recent years, I've realized it's not a great way to make money. I would far rather buy something and hold it for a long time and watch it multiply in value than constantly be taking a short-term angle, trying to make a little bit of money, maybe 20% on the downside, let's say over six months, if I can short a stock at the right moment. So yeah, in the case of shorting, I've actually changed my mind twice. Well, why was that podcast a bestie? Well, I hope it was liberating for you. It certainly was for me to describe how I once thought about things and how I, you, now think about things very differently. And I hope it models and even indeed champions this behavior for you, my dear listener, my fellow fool, because therein lies your growth. Doing that, let's say once a year, reflecting back on a time that you changed your mind, or at least once every few years, is a worthy effort. And so, yeah, Go back and listen to it. I love doing that podcast. Five times I changed my mind. Volume one is a bestie for 2022. The fourth bestie goes to Death Over Dinner, originally published on April 20th of this year. Just a week before, I had welcomed and interviewed author Michael Hebb, who wrote a wonderful book that I believe every one of my fellow humans, well, at least my fellow fools, should read. And that's Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. Michael's book takes the world's touchiest, most important subject and breaks it down, makes it accessible, socializes it even, in that he encourages us to host suppers or other social occasions to talk about death. I think the secret here is that you spend most of your time talking and thinking about life. And so, I find it profoundly changing and helpful, which is what that book interview was, and that was on April 13th. And that book interview was indeed one of my favorites of the year and easily could have won a bestie on its own, but I think most memorable and special was the following week when we unleashed a tour de force on this podcast. Michael graciously hosted 
a death over dinner with me and a few special guests, including one of my wife's rare appearances on this podcast. I and a few special friends for one hour got to enjoy the author himself talking us through a death over dinner. Well, over Zoom dinner anyway. And all of you, our dear Rule Breaker Investing listeners, get to listen in. I think it's one that will particularly stand the test of time. The mailbag was replete afterward with notes of appreciation and people talking about what an eye-opener that was. And indeed, I'm delighted to be joined now by Michael Hebb. Michael, thank you again so much for doing back-to-back podcasts with me in April, and especially for a very special dinner. Absolutely. You say jump, I say when. (laughs) <laughs> here we are well listeners won't know this but michael was good enough to take a portion of his saturday that's right a few days ago since this podcast of course comes out on wednesdays but we're talking on saturday over the weekend to fit this in so thank you very much for spending a little time with us michael and i'm wondering now thinking back i know it was eight months ago what's one reflection that you have now about that podcast we did together Well. I'll cheat a little and I'll give you two. Um, One is the fact that you are normalizing this conversation into communities that don't necessarily always think about death. Um, So the fact that you brought the whole conversation and the whole experience to your community so that people could demystify it or take some of the scare out of it and see that this is a very human, very approachable sometimes funny, definitely profound conversation that anybody could have. Um, so that's that's one. That means the world to me that you took the time to really just walk people through the paces and have the experience yourself and be vulnerable. Um, and the other thing is that this is a conversation that's perfect for people that think about investing, that think about their legacy, mm. that think about their financial fidelity and health. because. There's almost nothing better you can do than thinking about end of life, thinking about your parents' end of life and loved ones and prepare. It's actually a, an exercise of tremendous financial fitness. And, and we tend to push it on down to when there's a tragedy or a crisis or someone's in an ICU or someone has died. And I think doing it in advance opens up lots of opportunities for people. Well, thank you. And that is so true. And I'm really glad that you underlined that. And um, having updated my will once again this year, I think it's something that um, we need to pay attention to. And of course, we highly over-index on this podcast toward people who do think about this, who are leaving legacies, actively thinking about what makes the most sense. But that does leave the vast majority of the world often without wills, uh, as statistics show, or without a lot of thought or care in this area. So we're, we're not going to pump ourselves up too much. We have, we're fools here. We've got a lot to learn about the world. But I do think that you have queued up this as a topic for all of us. And you, you're the one, you're the real hero here, Michael, because um, I, I remember part of our conversation on that podcast, you were talking about how you're not even a big business person. Like, It's not like you have a huge Twitter following and you're generating all kinds of social media around what you're doing. In fact, I remember one thing you said on that podcast. You said it's in some ways better that you haven't been or tried to be a big personality or the big founder and CEO of this organization because it allows all of us in. It allows all of us to have conversations without feeling like, I don't know, you're Martha Stewart. Yeah, I mean, it's a real lead from behind phenomenon. It's 
it's not about me. It's about the people that actually go beyond just creating a will and have the conversations with their loved ones. Because really, the magic happens in the conversations, not just in a document, not just in your stock portfolio, but that nuanced conversation that you have with loved ones will inform the decisions you make when somebody is having a hard time. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's never been about me. Michael, let's talk just a little bit more about you, though, if you will indulge us. What are you working on these days? What's ahead for you in 2023? Yeah, well, we just had a huge launch of a new project based on Death Over Dinner. So the blueprint has been so successful that we've gone back to the drawing board and we created a project called Generations Over Dinner and partnered with the Modern Elder Academy and Chip Conley. Ah. Um, and the um, folks at Stanford Longevity and Cogenerate. And the idea is, as it sounds, generations over dinner, how many generations can we get together at the dinner table? And how can we share wisdom across those generations? So that's the focus of the project. Came out in beta two months ago, and we have an upcoming national day of dinners with um, AmeriCorps and with the AAR AARP. Um, that is focused on bringing together youth activists and folks that are living in senior living. Um, so really a huge generational gap that we're filling in and bringing people together. And just the idea of young activists um, sitting down with folks in senior living and gleaning wisdom and sharing their own is something that gets me really excited. So people can find out about that at generationsoverdinner.com. And it's now live. Um, so anyone can go and can organize a dinner and take part in one. Fantastic. And for me, obviously, you having written the book, Michael, I felt as if I could pick up your playbook and read a couple hundred pages and understand what you're about and do it myself. It sounds like there isn't, is there a Generations Over Dinner book coming out or are you staying focused on the web? And I know your partner's Elder Academy, Chip Conley, by the way, somebody I've got to know through Conscious Capitalism, a very good man. So I'm delighted to hear about that partnership. Is there going to be a play? Is there a PDF playbook on the website? There is. There's everything you need to know to get started. And there may be a book. I've started to write a bit about my really interesting family history um, and, and, and also just the movement as it's taking place in real time. So we'll see. We'll see if publishers like it. I like the idea. <laughs> so. generationsoverdinner.com thank you for that Michael Hebb okay Michael before I let you go what's a wish an interesting thought or a prediction that you have for the year 2023 my wish is that people come out of their shells you know when we, we've launched this project in the midst of post pandemic reality we have become pretty asocial it is very hard to get people to get out of their houses and to think about the social contract and mm. civil society. It takes us being engaged with others. We can't do it while watching HBO or Netflix. And I'm, you know, and just as much uh, at, at fault for this, but my hope for all of us is that we come back out into the world and we talk to people that share our opinions and more importantly, people that don't. Michael Hebb, congratulations on your success. Thank you for your work on behalf of us all. And I wish you the very best in 2023. Thank you for being a fellow fool. Fool on, friend. Absolutely.
All right. Well, on to bestie number five. And the fifth bestie goes to two fools. Tennis pro Sam Verbeek, originally published on October 12th of this year. This conversation with a professional athlete who is also a capital F foolish investor was a true delight. You know, it started, he's about to join me so Sam can confirm, but it started as, I think, a mailbag item a year or so ago. Sam, welcome. Hi. Writing in, having had a father who, when you reached out and said, Dad, I want to start understanding investing or personal finance. Sam, am I right that Verbeek Sr. said, hey, check out The Fool? Fool.com was the link that he sent me. Yep. And do you have any idea how he had first found out about us or why he pointed to The Fool? I haven't actually asked him. Um, I should be very grateful to him, though, because uh, you guys... Yeah, this have... is a very wise, brilliant, <laughs> mature man, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Somebody very successful in life with a very successful son. So <laughs> I can't imagine a better source for that advice. But <laughs> slightly more seriously, I'm delighted because that's what connected us. And mm -hmm. uh, it was so much fun to have you coming on and telling your story. And I think in particular, what I appreciate about you, Sam, is that I feel as if you have both sides of your brain working hard here. And you were kind of an all-around human being. You are a very successful athlete, but you're also very smart. I like these people, people <laughs> who, are, who are really good at lots of different things. And I think in some ways, that's what we all need to aspire to be, to do money well, regardless of what our profession is, regardless of what our personal background is, we're all going to need to start realizing, you know, there's a lot of things to figuring out how to invest, how to save, uh, what insurance should I pick, uh, what box do I check on my retirement investing form. There are so many questions being asked of us as adults, and a lot of us were never given a class didn't have a brilliant, talented dad, Sam. The point is to fool.com. And so it's a reminder that we're all kind of capital F fools. And I think that's a lot of the spirit of the Two Fools series. One year ago, I was celebrating Frank Reich, the former Indianapolis Colts head coach who was on this podcast with a similar conversation with me. I guess I'm a sucker for athletes, but it's fun, again, to talk to people who are really good at something, namely sports, but also who have a great mind for money. Sam, how are you doing? How are you spending your holidays? And what are you looking forward to for the year ahead? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for, for having me back. It was such a pleasure to uh, to spend some time with you. And any chance that we can get together, I think, is a, is a great time. Um, yeah, I'm now in, in Amsterdam. I'm playing the national championships at the moment. Um, so that's a, a fun one for, for this week. But um, So is it, is it not cold in Amsterdam? It is. It is uh, literally freezing right now, but we're playing inside, thankfully. Well, I, I definitely was expecting <laughs> that you were playing inside, but I still feel as if the Amsterdam Championships could be scheduled during a beautiful time in the summer when all could... But I guess that's when all the other big tennis tournaments and matches are, and so yeah. maybe they're December picking their is spot. usually the time where most people are, are together, um, yes. so yes. we can get a, a good tournament going. Well, delightful that you can be in your home city and compete for a national championship. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I hope to to stay home and bring it home, as we would say. <laughs> Love it. Um, but for the holidays, I'm actually going to uh, to Riga in in Latvia. My uh, girlfriend is from there, so I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, to let her be the tour guide and show me all around. Wonderful. Now, my schoolboy memorizing of capitals. Am I right that Riga is the capital of Latvia? Yep. Excellent. Mm -hmm. 
And I've never been, so that's about all I know. (laughs) Well, I will let you know how it was because it will be my first time as well. Wonderful. And I presume you're visiting with our family. That always seems like an important moment in our Mm -hmm. lives. Yeah, I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. Well, we trust that will go well. All right. So, Sam, let me ask you, now reflecting back, it was not so long ago. It was October 12th. So here we are about two months later. But any reflections back now on that podcast we did together? Yeah, well, first of all, I must say I have an ability to talk a lot, but not say a lot of, a lot oh, of things. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed uh, listening back to it. Um, and hopefully uh, everybody listening did as well. Um, but this year has been such a, an incredible year, both personally um, and financially, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and it's really made me reflect back on the similarities between sports and investing. Um, and like you said in your episode with, uh, with Frank Reich, um, and now with mine, there's so much you can learn from both sports and investing and, and apply it vice versa. Um, and the biggest lesson that I've learned both in my tennis this year and also, um, going through the investing process is that growth and progress is definitely not linear. Um, you there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be hard lessons to be learned. Um, but I've, I've noticed for myself, you know, sometimes I could feel like I was playing great level tennis, but then the results wouldn't come. And then suddenly out of nowhere, you have uh, some great results. So don't pay too much attention to all the predictions and the opinions around you. Just know what you want to focus on and, and keep going in that direction. And things should work out for the better. <laughs> Wonderful, Sam. Thank you so much uh, for somebody who's learned that in his own professional sports life. And it does feel obviously so apropos for all of us as investors listening in and thinking about the year that has been and beginning to anticipate the year that will be. And that's where I want to go to close with you, Sam. What's a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction that you have for the year 2023? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I can speak for a lot of people here. I wish for a little bit more stability <laughs> in 2023. <laughs> um, but no, on a, on a more personal note, I'm, uh, I'm making it a, uh, a prediction that I'm going to read more books. Um, so Love I'm it. also wishing for people to, to read more and understand more about each other and our history so we can uh, move forward in a great way. Um, and I think that the, the world will be a better place filled with more knowledge then. So. Love it. The more we can help each other out, the better it is. Thank you very much for that, Sam. And that naturally asks me to ask the question back. Typically in your reading, what areas or categories uh, outside of the obvious, in this case, I would say tennis and or personal finance, Mm -hmm. outside of those two obvious categories, what do you typically love to read? So it depends on what mood I'm in. Um, which is really fun. So I, I like to have the personal development books um, and the books about business, like you said, because it's such a new area for me. So I love learning about it. But if you just want to relax on the couch, you know, if I'm together with my girlfriend in front of the fireplace and just want to relax some, some fiction books um, or some light history, um, I think knowing where we all come from and um, how we spent the last few centuries is a, it's a fun way to learn about ourselves. Um, like I said in the previous episode, I have a curious mind, <laughs> and I think hopefully that will remain for the rest of my life. But something light, usually during the evening, and then during the day, if I have a little bit more energy, it's uh, it's more about learning. 
Well, that's wonderful. And Sam, I hope you'll get a chance to listen back to this podcast, of which you are one component, but there are a number. Uh, we've already heard a few, and I think we're going to hear a few more of recommendations for ways to spend our time reading and or learning. And that is indeed such an important intellectual curiosity, I think, is the fire that drives success in most of the successful people in life. I obviously recognize it in you. So I love your prediction. I also <laughs> will agree with you that I think you will read more books because making that kind of pronouncement about ourselves in advance usually causes us to be more accountable and more likely to succeed to that thing. So that is a prediction that we all can make along with you. Thank you, Sam Verbeek, for the podcast we did together, for being a torchbearer for what we stand for at The Motley Fool. And we all wish you the very best of success, both in the national championship this month, but even more in reading more books in the year ahead. <laughs> Full on, <laughs> my you. friend. Thank you. Full on. Bestie number six, the sixth bestie, goes to What You Have Learned from David Gardner, Volume 3, originally published on May 11th of this year, the week of my birthday. And yeah, ostensibly, this is among my more self-indulgent podcasts I do each year. And I do tend to do this one every year because, I mean, who openly asks people for presents on their birthday? And yet, and yet that's exactly what I do every year, the week of my birthday on this podcast. I ask you, as your gift to me, to tell you what you've learned from me. And each year, enough of you do that it ends up creating, I think, a wonderful podcast, a, a real asset for this podcast, in fact, because you inevitably end up summarizing all the key points, all my most important or foolish takeaways from the many thoughts, stories, insights, I would also say inspirations that emerge from this particular podcast each year. And so for a medium that is here today, gone tomorrow, podcasts, I mean, they're kind of like other broadcast media, TV, for instance, where a given listener might be new or old, but just turns it on, shows up, listens one week, might be their first time ever listening. There's no way for me to ensure that you have real context for what you're hearing if you're just showing up, there's no way to teach you or anyone ahead of time to establish foundational building blocks for your knowledge and your learning for us to ensure that you're starting here at an appropriate point. Nope. It's just whatever happens to be on the podcast that week. Might be a market cap game show or an author interview or me re-summarizing the six habits of a rule breaker investor or my 25-point system for risk ratings. You don't know what you'll walk into when you start listening to a podcast on any given week, when it's been around for years. Which is why what you have learned from David Gardner is so helpful as a key building block, a helpful starting point year in and year out for new listeners. So from many lessons included in this year's version, a get started style of podcast, I'm just going to pull a couple as examples right now. The first is to make sure you're seeking the right feedback. So Vim wrote in to that episode about how he just gotten started investing in December 2020. Ouch. What he'd received was basically unrelenting negative feedback for the first year as an investor. But as we talked it out on the podcast, that's only if you're viewing feedback as immediate. Now, it's very understandable for much feedback in this world to be immediate. If you hold your hand over the fire, it's going to hurt right away. If you touch the pedal, especially of your electric car, it should instantly push forward. A lot of us are used to 
instant feedback. But as investors playing by definition over the long term, we have to dial our feedback out toward an appropriate amount of time. So if you're a committed investor, you should probably dial out your feedback and learning cycle from not one day or one year. I would say at least five, maybe five years. Let's see what we can learn from any investment in five years. And also, I say to Vim and to you listening to me right now, there will always be, in retrospect, good and bad times to have invested in the market. So December 2020 may well have represented a near-term peak. That means new money will always have historically underperformed from that point. But that's why it's so important, ABI, to always be investing. Vim gets it. I think most of my listeners will get that, but especially for newer investors and listeners, always be investing. So if you invest every two weeks, if you save and invest every two weeks, you will hit all of the best times ever to have invested in market history over the course of your lifetime, and also all the worst times too. And it wasn't about the lucky timing of which one of those you invested in. It's that you invested all the way through in all of them. And that is the surest way to riches. That was one thing you learned from me. And a second, quickly, I'll add in, comes to mind. And that's a theme that came through in many notes. But I'll just quote briefly and memorably from one, submitted by longtime fellow fool Vince Granieri, who put it this way, and I quote, so many lessons from you, David, the most important being to be on, to bet on, to work on, and to invest on the optimistic side and make those dreams become reality for you and others as you make the world smarter, happier, and richer, end quote. Vince, that is exactly my wish for you and for everybody hearing me right now. While it's very hard to feel as if we've made much progress in the right direction the last 15 months as investors, I know for you and for many listening, That has been, though, overall your experience of investing. Foolish investing works. Rule breaker investing works because we need to see past a bad year or two. And I also love how you talk about making one's dreams become reality for others. And so, yeah, bestie number six goes to a highlight podcast for me every year. And it is indeed appropriate for me to express gratitude for the gifts you send me, the mailbag notes, stories, insights, challenges. Every mailbag is a gift episode, so thank you. And I hope one other thing you will know, probably didn't learn from David Gardner, and that is the great benefit of being grateful. All right, the seventh bestie. Lucky Seven goes to authors in August, River of the Gods, with Candace Millard. That was originally published on August 24th of 2022. Now, Authors in August has become an annual tradition on this podcast. And indeed, this was Candace's return visit to Rule Breaker Investing. I simply invite her each time she has a new book. And as she writes, well, a new book every five years or so, that tends to be the rhythm of her appearances on this podcast. Candace, a delight to have you rejoin me to reflect a little bit back on the year that has been. It's a delight to be here. Every time you ask, I simply say yes, because I really enjoy talking with you. Thank you. And me too. And you know, one thing I want to make sure is that anybody who's not already read River of the Gods knows why it is such a fantastic read. And I'm going to give credit here to Al Woodworth. Candace, do you know Al Woodworth? I do not. I feel like I should. 
Well, you will now because he's the <laughs> Amazon editor who penned this one paragraph summary of your book. I would have rambled on for probably three paragraphs, but I like this succinct summary of River of the Gods. So again, for those who have not yet read it, you should know it's a thrilling narrative nonfiction full of adventure, ambushes, false starts, and the pursuit of conquest. Richard Burton was a consummate explorer with a penchant for languages. He spoke more than 25 for sex and for glory. One of his greatest expeditions was a trip to discover the headwaters of the Nile in 1857. Candace Millard, the best-selling author of The River of Doubt and Destiny of the Republic, recounts Burton's life and epic journey that not only involved harrowing physical feats, but stiff competition and epic clashes with his fellow explorer, John Hanning Speak, and also with the man who's been left out of the history books, African guide Sidi Mubarak Bombay. Using diary entries and letters, Millard's story drops you in the middle of the jungle and exposes a world of conquering and colonial exploits, a fascinating portrait of the characters and the era in which they roamed that is an adventure to read. End quote. Candace, do you approve of Al Woodworth's work? Absolutely. That's, a, that's much better than I could do. That was terrific. It was great. I mean, anytime you're trying to characterize a book in a paragraph, it's sort of like a movie trailer taking one minute out of a two hour or something and trying to excite people around it. But it isn't hard, I don't think, for almost anybody to get excited about your book, not just because you tend to favor subjects that are adventuresome and that are often underexposed, that surprises a chapter in some well-known person's life that we wouldn't otherwise have known, but also the style with which you write the the research that you bring to bear, all of these things are reasons, I think, for your readers consistently to get excited from one five-year period to the <laughs> next. I remember, Candice, that when we talked, you were talking about how your next book, because that's always my inevitable question, I'm sure everybody else who interviews you uh, is always going to say, What's, what are you working on next? I remember <laughs> you saying for the first time it would be a female yes. subject. And yes. I don't think that you're talking about it publicly yet, and I, I'm quite sure you probably shouldn't. Is that the case? <laughs> well, you know, there's always this um, push and pull with that kind of thing. So I, I want to talk about it because I'm excited about it and because when you talk to somebody about something you're working on, nine times out of 10, they'll say, oh, did you know about this archive? Did you know about this book? Or sometimes even, you know, I actually know a descendant, <laughs> you know, I can get you yeah. in touch with. So um, it really helps. Um, on the other hand, when you're first starting out, you know, you, you actually don't know that much about it. You know enough to know, okay, there's a good book here, but to, even to ask the right questions. And so I usually give myself a year in, <laughs> since, yeah. as you say, it takes me five years. So I still have plenty of time to, to make those connections, um, but I'm just getting started with it. Well, and I'm also imagining, I mean, in the same spirit of fellow explorer John Hanning speak and stiff competition, if you were to put it out there that you found a great story for this amazing <laughs> subject, you might all of a sudden have speak show up and try to <laughs> scoop you. And I talked right. earlier in this podcast with Dan Pink about chat AI and the auto writing that can occur, mm. you might be shocked by how quickly a mediocre but still 
thunder-stealing book could appear <laughs> if you were to talk too publicly too early about your next subject? Yeah, I think that obviously that's every every writer's nightmare. And I know Eric Larson never talks about things that he's working on, I think, for that for that reason. And every once in a while, I think we all open, you know, the New York Times book review and you see a shared review, you know, and it, and it often it's like a biography that took somebody not five years, but 10 or 20 years. Mm. And then it comes out at the same time as somebody else's, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt biography and they have to share the review. And uh, my heart always breaks for those people. So that is definitely a concern. Well, anytime you appear on my podcast, my wife, Margaret, always insists on listening. We had so much fun, again, listening to your appearance on Rule Breaker Investing in August. And I had made a guess at the end of that podcast that was dead wrong about your next subject. <laughs> okay. But Margaret, who's smarter than I am, started to think more about this. So I'm just going to flash out two names. Okay. And you can neither confirm nor deny. You can react <laughs> or not at all. But I want to make another guess this is powered by Margaret Gardner. So, okay. Candace, again, I don't want you to say if I'm right or wrong, but okay. Florence Nightingale or Clara Barton? And I'm supposed to say nothing? <laughs> you actually can well, say whatever you want. I will say, and, okay, I'm just going to tell you they're not right, but ah. she is actually very interestingly close and in, and, and a very specific way. Um, but uh, one of those people is going to be in the book to some Excellent. degree, but is not the, the main character. Well, I knew but Margaret well was done. Well done. Her. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, knew, I knew Margaret would score <laughs> higher than I did because she did all the way through college together. So I'm used to having a lower GPA. Okay. I'm delighted to know that. Well, Candice, well, the question that I've been asking my guests first, what's one reflection you have now about that podcast we did together earlier this year? What I remember most about our conversation is, and what I enjoyed most about it, is that it veered sort of away from just, you know, what I usually talk about with a book, which I always enjoy. Obviously, when I spend so much time working on a book, I want to talk about it, and that's fun. But we went off into sort of a different direction, um, and I thought kind of, to me, at least more interesting kind of broader subjects. And I think that we talked about um, how so often with history, you see one of the lessons you learn is that how often arrogance and ignorance go together, hand mm. in hand. And you can see again and again and again throughout history, the damage that they do and the danger that they pose. And we talked about how, you know, you, how you can try to protect from that, try to try to prevent that if it's possible. And I think the only way that that's possible from, from my limited experience with history is just doing that, respecting history and trying to understand history and to remember it and to keep a very honest, um, clear, steady eye on our history and try to use that um, to correct our course when we need to. And so that's kind of what what I remember from our conversation and what I really enjoyed. That was great. You talked some about your craft. I'm always interested in how creatives, creators, and by the way, I don't think of creatives as its own specialized class. I think we're all creating all yes. the time, but I always love people who are really good at creating different forms of art and expression. I love hearing how they do what they do. And you, mm -hmm. you shared some there too, but I really appreciate you double underlining one of the great benefits of history, which is seeing how some famous people can just get headstrong, boldly audacious, too confident. Right. And often it is 
ironically, perhaps, it is enabled by their own ignorance. So that relationship, you are so um, good to remind us of that key lesson from that podcast. Speaking of writer's craft and the habits that we get into, I have to ask you, since I asked the same thing of Dan Pink earlier on this week's podcast, Candace, is there something around your desk? Is there some memento or knickknack? Dan, in his case, had a Charles Darwin doll that he held up briefly in front of our camera together. But surely you have some interesting knickknack around your desk that's there with you every day as you work. I actually have many of those things. I love picking those things up um, as I'm doing research. And the one I'm going to talk to you about is a flagstone that um, I have from the low stone wall um, in, at Neston Park, the estate where John Hanning Speak was hunting. And he was trying to climb over this stone wall and he shot himself and he died um, soon after. And um, I, when I was doing my research, I went to Neston Park and it's still owned by the, the family, um, by Speak's family. And the, I think it was the great, great grandson of um, Speak's cousin who was hunting with him that day, um, took me on this tour and he took me to this wall mm. and he gave me a piece of the wall. Isn't that awesome? And I'm not going to yeah. <laughs> say in the same way that my wife outscored me in GP, I'm not going to say that you outscored Dan. With, uh, I would say, a much more meaningful knickknack and answer than his Charles Darwin <laughs> stuffed doll, but I'm not saying that. The Darwin doll is very cool. I also have a Theodore Roosevelt, Roosevelt bobblehead, oh, if that Yeah, helps. that definitely kind of helps. Category. That definitely helps. <laughs> All right, to close, Candace, what's a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction that you have for the year ahead? So my wish, and um, because I'm an optimist, I will say it's also a prediction, is that, um, and, it, and it's going to sound very cliche, but I think it's really, really true. My wish is that we would all treat each other the way we want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And because I had this conversation recently with an Uber driver in Pittsburgh, and I don't even know how it started, but we started talking about the golden rule and like how if everybody actually followed it, it would transform the world. You know, if you, you want to be treated with respect, then treat other people with respect. You know, you want to be able to trust people, then be trustworthy. And it's just that simple. Um, but like so many things in life, like, you know, eating your fruit and vegetables or exercising, people know the right thing to do, but don't do it. And, and, and but I, again, am an optimist and I believe that um, we'll, we'll all be following the golden rule more in 2023. Thank you very much, Candace. And, you know, coming from you as uh, someone who exudes kindness, at least, uh, I, I've spent a little bit to- of time in your actual <laughs> physical presence these days. Our auras are more projected over Zoom or different right. tools like that. But anyway, I look forward to that future and that year. And I do believe that there are lots of positive reasons and people and factors in the world today to expect that we will see more of that going forward than we have in the recent past. So Candace Millard, a delight to join with you again. Thank you so much for being part of Besties 2022. Thanks so much for having me. It was so much fun as always. All right. On to Bestie number eight. Bestie number eight goes to Company Culture Tips, Volume 10, Greatest Hits. And how could I not recognize and award one of my favorite summary podcasts of all time on this podcast, not just for this year, but to think that Kara Chambers and Lee Burbage have come on this podcast 10 separate times now over seven years to share it out. Cultural tips for your workplace, 
ones we've tried out in our workplace, ones through our reading that we've decided not to do uh, in our workplace, whatever we're learning for good or for bad, Kara and Lee now for 10 separate times over the years have shared it out and I think created a lot of value for listeners because we're all, if we're working, we're all, whether we own that company or not, whether it's a company or a university, not-for-profit organization, we're all in different professional workplaces and the culture, the culture that we are creating, especially as leaders, for those who come to work with us and for us every day, so important. So, Kara Chambers, I'm delighted to have you back on Rule Breaker Investing. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me back. Thank you, Kara. And you were on this podcast at least two times this year because we did do Company Culture Tips Volume 9 a little bit earlier in the year. And that was, of course, a delight. But to bring it all together with the 10 best tips of all time from our 10-episode series, that definitely edged out Company Culture Tips Volume 9, by the way, which is, was called Progress and Growth, which was from June of this year. But it had to be our greatest hits. Kara, reflecting back now on that podcast we did together, what comes to mind? Oh, that we really enjoyed it. Um, I think I think you asked what's one reflection that we have about the podcast now. To me, um, there's power in looking back over the long term. And I really love that you've given us this kind of demarcation over the past couple of years to keep looking back. And so we we walked out of that really grateful and happy and just proud of our work and just glad to have the opportunity to really look at it holistically because you don't get a chance to do that. Anybody in a job is mired in the day-to-day. So you don't get a moment in your day to like look across a long span of your career and what you've worked on, what's worked and what hasn't. So to me, I feel like the reflection was there. there's power in taking a look at the long view um, is, is what we enjoyed the most about that. Thank you, Kara. And, you know, and uh, Lee, who is moving his house this week, so couldn't join us. I'm sure Lee says hello to all of his fans and Rule Breaker Investing listeners, but I mean, he's moving. But anyway, Kara, to think back, you know, one thing I want to say specifically to you, since you're with me this week, is you are one of my cool hunters in this world. You are somebody, and there's always an app for that you've shown many of us over the years, but you're on the hunt for good reads, good apps. What is going to help improve our lives? And you gave me two gifts earlier this year that I want to thank you for. The first was, I think you were reacting to a podcast where I talked about how much I love eBooks and how many highlights I've put into them over the years. And you emailed me and you said, David, have you ever ever used Readwise? And I, I had heard of it, but I didn't exactly know what you meant when you slacked me or emailed me that, Kara. But thank you very much because... This app, which basically allows me as a Amazon Kindle, although Apple Books, etc., I can upload all of my highlights into the cloud and read-wise using some machine learning and getting to know me more over time starts firing them back at me on a daily basis. Highlights of books I'd forgotten I read eight years ago or loved two years ago, but I forgot that line. And it's regularly bringing that back and helping me kind of build a new knowledge library somewhat tagged, somewhat curated, but you are building my second brain with that wonderful suggestion of Readwise. So Kara, my dear Cool Hunter, by the way, raise your hand. Our podcast listeners can't see this. This is visual. Raise your hand, Kara, if you have another new suggestion for me and us. Sure. 
I'm very happy to say Kara is raising her hand, and we'll get to that in a sec, so now I'm excited. But I also want to thank you for gift number two, and I just alluded to it, because you also said, David, you should read the book Building a Second Brain, and I really loved that book. It's by Tiago Forte. It came out in June of this year. It's all about, for me, Kara, linking together all of my different disparate digital libraries, uh, productivity, getting things done, to-do organizers, all of my digital notes, some of them splayed out in different places, and centralizing that, simplifying that, and really enhancing my productivity. So I don't know exactly what you loved about that book, Kara, and I have to admit, I haven't finished it yet, but I already know greatness when I see it, and I'm already using it. Oh, that's great. No, I really love that book, and Readwise is a tool that they use. It just we're surrounded by so much information, it's hard to keep track of. Um, and the way your brain holds on to things, the concept is to kind of create this library outside of your brain, however you're organized, because brains are, you know, uh, intuitive and not organized in a very um, literal way. Or mm. So that really helped. I was just linking things together, um, that intuitive thinking of, oh, I remember I studied this, but I also highlighted this piece and that's coming together. So Readwise kind of sends it back to you and says, hey, you remember you read this book four years ago? Exactly. And like, oh, that's a project I'm working on right now. Um, so it's building that library. Um, so definitely really recommend that book. And if you want it, I can add another tool I just learned about yesterday. I definitely, again, <laughs> you are not just my cool hunter. You're becoming a cool <laughs> hunter for this podcast. So thank you. And so just to summarize briefly, the Readwise app and the book Building a Second Brain a devastating one-two punch of improve your memory, distill down to the things that really matter and bring them back at the right time so that you can make use of that amazing quote you'd forgotten you loved three years ago and it directly informs a project that you have next week. So, so appreciate that, Kara. Before I ask you my final question, I've been asking all my guests, cool hunt for me a little bit. What's the next big thing in my learning? Okay, so AI is really driving it. And this, I I believe it's on version 0.24. So it's not coming to our Motley Fool systems anytime soon. I was okay. chatting with our tech people today. But they're using AI um, to help complete your notes for you. So you or I might use Evernote or Apple Notes to write our notes about things. But you just hit a backslash and just say, complete this note for me. Summarize this book I just read. And then it will just write it for you. Um, and then it will, so I just started using it yesterday, um, just testing it out. Like, oh, I have to write up a summary of this thing I'm doing and, wow. you know, summarize this. Can you make this simpler? Can you just complete this sentence for me? And the robots are just doing that for me. Um, it's a little spooky. Um, so and I was What is intrigued. the name of this app? Oh, I apologize. Mem.ai. M-E-M. Mem.ai. So earlier in this podcast, you wouldn't know this because you didn't get to hear it, but Dan Pink was talking about his prediction for 2023 yeah. that all of this chat AI, chat GPT, et cetera, is real. Yeah. And it's changing everything. And so you are, for listeners who have listened all the way through this episode, you are totally double underlining something and causing us all to think, I think, smarter about 2023. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, a colleague and I were just talking about Dan Pink's earliest book, A Whole New Mind, today, mm. uh, which is really about how human brains still will have an advantage. He wrote it in 2005 um, over robots in certain areas like empathy and drawing patterns where there are not. And we were just chatting today about, well, AI is 
it's kind of getting in there. <laughs> it's kind of it getting in there. It so. is really interesting to watch and a great time to be alive. I'm fascinated by the possibilities. And while every powerful technology can be used for good or for evil, in my experience, most of us are on the good side. So the good guys always outnumber the bad guys. And I think amazing things are coming from this. So I, I watch with interest. Well, speaking of 2023, and maybe you've already answered the question, but I'll still re-ask it. Kara Chambers, what's a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction that you have for the year ahead? I think my wish, or I guess my wish is that we test and learn our way into where we need the robots and where we need the human touch. Um, and we we have touched on this a little bit in our podcast um, of learning and and learning from our mistakes because we're not we're going to go too far in one direction, uh, one way or the other. So I think my my hope for twenty twenty three is we do more of that experimentation and learn from those um, of where we need um, your AI is not going to be your manager doing a one on one with you. I don't think this year, but if we tried it and we it didn't work, it would be we would learn from that or something like that or, but it AI is summarizing a book um, that I just pulled up literally as Dan Pink's example this morning, mm. unrelated to this conversation, be like, Hey, there was this Dan Pink book and I typed in summarize and I got it. Wow. Super helpful. Unbelievable. Um, and so the future is here, um, but we still keeping that humanity and, and then the role we have on our team is to serve people um, there's only so much you can do with robots, um, so far. So that's what we're going to figure out in 2023. Thank you. Well, that test and learn mentality has been integral to so much of what we've done at The Fool, whether we're talking about how to invest your money or how to run our own business, or in our case, how to try to create, maintain, and grow a world-class corporate culture. So Kara, thank you. And Lee in absentia, thank you both for all that you have done, are doing, and will do for Fool's worldwide. And I'm not just talking about our employees. Through this podcast, you're reaching a lot more people that you are educating, amusing, and enriching. Kara Chambers, thank you for that bestie we did together here in 2022. Thank you for the encore. All right, on to bestie number nine. And bestie number nine goes to Financial Horror Stories, Volume 1, Memento Mori, that was first published on October 19th of this year, just a couple of months ago. And I thought it would be awfully scary to have Robert Brokamp back on right now to reflect together with me on that podcast we did together. Bro, great to have you back. Thank you, David. And yes, many people find me scary. So thank you very much. Well, you can scare us a little bit if you like this week, staying in character. Robert, you and I first talked about doing this podcast earlier in the year. Do you remember that? I do, yes. And I believe it was a listener who emailed you with really a sad story and that they knew someone who passed away at a relatively young age, I believe in 40s, maybe 50s. And really the difficult part was that made his 18-year-old son the executor of his estate and in charge of managing assets, which uh, no one should be put in that position as a surprise, but especially an 18-year-old who just at that point became you know, an adult, legally an adult. So it was very complicating. It was. And as I recall, his dad had been an entrepreneur, so he had a family business. And so all of a sudden, you have an 18-year-old who needs a process of mourning and all kinds of rethinking about life, I'm sure, and downtime. And he's making all the financial calls around a business, et cetera. And at the time, well, of course, I had you on the podcast to answer that in the mailbag, bro. But you were saying at the end of it, hey, I've got some other scary stories about people who didn't do their 
wills. And so I said, let's do a podcast. And we did. Again, it was October 19th. It was just a week or two before Halloween, quite by intention. And I had a lot of fun being scared by some of the stories that you told. And obviously, the reason I'm giving this a bestie is because for anybody who's listening to us now, Robert, who did not get to hear Financial Horror Stories Volume 1, boy, is that ever an eye-opener and I think an inspiration, which is often what death can be, a theme of this week's podcast, an inspiration to live a better life, in this case, a better financial life. Bro, what reflection do you have now, a couple months later in that podcast we did together? Well, we talked about, about seven stories about fam- some famous people and some not so famous people about basically mistakes they made with their estate plan. Some not doing any estate planning at all, like Prince, the musicians. Some people doing an estate plan, but it was not complete. Um, maybe they didn't address what would happen to like heirlooms and, and, and collectibles and things like that. Mm. And sometimes the plans were just not updated. So, you know, someone had an estate plan, but then they got divorced, didn't update the plan. So money went to the ex-spouse. So those types of things. And really the recollection I have of that is that it's very, very complicated. And you need to get professional help. After that uh, episode aired, I was speaking with a colleague of ours at The Motley Fool, and she told me her story about how her mother put her legal documents in a safety deposit box, gave the keys to her daughter, and said, when I pass on, here's the keys. Unfortunately, the mother passed on. The, the, our colleague drove up to New Jersey to open the safety deposit box. But the bank said, I'm sorry, you're not on the list of approved people. Oh, my God. So you can't access it. So her, all her legal documents, her will, is everything is locked up. So they need to get legal help to somehow get access to that. So, again, you need to get some sort of expert, an attorney who, whose expertise is in estate planning, someone who knows your state's laws, to really take care of all of these details. Someone who's been there and done that. Most of us, uh, if a parent dies or a spouse, I mean, that's like a first. And it's not going to happen many times in our life. And we're really, for many reasons, not fully prepared. I think part of what you inspired me to do with that podcast, Robert, is to really think it through. But you're also pointing out beyond just thinking it through or acknowledging that I will die one day and acknowledging the importance of some planning and putting in some precautions and steps so that those who come after have their lives eased not hardened, but you're pointing out that it's not just enough to have good intent or to have done some of the right stuff if you're not doing it well enough. If you didn't realize you should specify ahead of time that my daughter can have the key, wow, that's even harder to hear in some ways because that was a person with her heart in the right place. I trust it will all end well, but extra complications simply because they didn't know how to do it quite right. Yeah, and a lot of it really comes down to just getting stuff done. And I'm saying that that phrase... Specifically, because when I think back to my worst financial mistakes, they basically came down to procrastination or, or you know, putting things off or not having a right to do list. And David, you and I have talked over the years about getting things done. You betcha, big David Allen fans, yes. both of us. Yes, and uh, I really believe that so much of, and especially as we head into the new year and people think about the resolutions, like coming up with a system to take care of all your financial to-do items is crucial because everyone wants to have an estate plan. Everyone knows they should have an estate plan and everyone knows what steps they have to take, but they just haven't gotten around to it. The majority of US adults don't have a will, even though they know they should. So highly recommend David Allen's book. Um, I know you've uh, in the past interviewed James Clear of the book Atomic Habits, another great one. Definitely, I think a key to financial success is making sure that you get everything done. And I mean, coming off my conversation with Kara, I got to ask you, Robert, have you yet heard of or even read 
I think the new getting things done, the amazing Building a Second Brain by Tiago Forte. I have not, but now I'm going to add it to my reading list. I am delighted to know, and I'm happy to share. Like It's that gift-giving time of year, so I give you the gift of knowing about that book. And now, one of your family members, I know they all gather around to hear you on this podcast each time around the fire (laughs) in the most romantic of circumstances. They're hearing right now that dad or husband would love this book for Christmas. It is a very special book, I think. Anyway. I want to make it clear that dad and husband are separate. So just, you know, it's not the same thing for the same person. (laughs) We are glad to know that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, let me close by asking you, Robert, very simply, what's a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction that you have for the year 2023? Okay, so I'm going to choose something kind of boring, but important, right? So here at The Motley Fool, we love to talk about stocks. There's something else, though, called bonds, and I might be one of the few people here at The Motley Fool who regularly cover bonds. This sounds like an interesting thought. (laughs) Well, we'll see. So this year has been horrible horrible for bonds. The bond market is down more than 10%. Definitely the worst year for bonds in our lifetimes, and by some measures, one of the worst in US history. Here's what my prediction is, next year will be better for a couple of reasons. First of all, most bonds are trading at a discount, 5 10% below their par value. Bonds are contractually obligated to reach their par value. And so if you buy an investment grade bond, a treasury, you are most likely get your money back. So that's almost, not completely, but almost guaranteed growth, plus interest rates are higher. So I think bonds are actually a bargain now. All right. Um, Now, if you're young, if you are an aggressive investor, you don't need bonds. If you are more moderate or conservative, near or in retirement, and you're looking for some way to make a little bit of money outside of the stock market, I think bonds are relatively attractive these days. Love it. You heard it here on Rule Breaker Investing from Robert Brokamp. Robert, whenever I invite that final question of my guests, what's a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction, it's really kind of in order from least to most of the daring do I'm inviting on the part of my guest. A wish. I mean, any of us can have a wish. An interesting thought, though. Well, that's interesting. But a prediction. I thought you were interesting thoughting us, but now I realize you came on this podcast to make a prediction, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you, Robert, for teaming up with me to create not just a bestie of 2022, but I do believe we concluded at the end of that podcast that it would be volume one with future financial horror stories to come in 2023 and perhaps the years ahead. It's really helpful to hear scary things, especially when they didn't happen to us, so we can avoid them in our own lives. Bro, happy holidays, friend. Thank you, David. You too. All right, and now on to the 10th bestie. Bestie number 10. Now, I have a long-standing tradition of often, but not always, trying to save the best for last. And I'm not saying that I did that this year on The Besties because I started at the top of the show saying these are not ordered. These are not ranked in any way, shape, or form. But for listeners who are still with us here at the close of this year's Besties, maybe you've been waiting for this one to come. Maybe this is the how could they not award the award to to this one because everyone was expecting it to win from the start. And joining me for the 10th Bestie my friend and longtime co-fool, Chris Hill. Chris, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. David, it's always a pleasure to be here, especially so today, now that I know that this is actually the best episode of the year. This We're going to be is, talking about the very best episode yeah, of the year. Yeah. And, no and disrespect the way, to the other guests who have preceded me on this show. We're all winners here, but really... This is the best one. I have some bad news for you, Chris, because although it's ultimately good news in part for you, 
whenever I complete this episode each year, I'm like, you know what? The Bestie was actually the best podcast that year. And I feel that way again this week. So sadly, you did maybe at best the second best podcast with me this year. Like I said, we're all winners. (laughs) All right. And the podcast, well, it was published on February 16th of this year. The title, The Year the Market Skyrocketed. And Chris, the idea for this podcast was formed some years ago. I started thinking, after you and I did The Day the Market Crashed a couple of years ago, I always thought, you know, it'd be fun to have a companion podcast. So The Day the Market Crashed for Newer listeners, you should know that Chris joined me and we simulated what it would sound like to be doing a Rule Breaker Investing podcast in the midst of a market crash. Chris, you and I joined together memorably, surrounded by a cast of, I won't say thousands, but at least a few other wonderful fools. And we pretended the market had crashed and we we processed it. I think we helped our listeners process that. And that was fun to do. And when the market actually did kind of crash... A few months later, in no way were we trying to be predictive. Right, Chris? In no way were we trying to be predictive? In no way. Thank you. And yet, we we kind of oddly were. But the main thing is we wanted our fellow listeners and fellow fools to be able to think through their mindset faced by a surprising challenge. In this case, of course, the challenge of a big market drop. We've all felt that this year and had our mindsets challenge. Once again, but Chris, earlier this year, we asked a different question. What if the market didn't crash, but what if the market went crazy? What if one year, Chris Hill, the market skyrocketed? What year was that? 2052. Conveniently located some 30 years hence. Yeah, and when you first came to me with the idea, uh, I thought... Well, yeah, I get the idea of a, the companion podcast, that kind of thing. But I really did struggle initially with like, wait, how is this going to work? And how are we going to pull this off? And the more you sort of unpacked it for me, the more I thought, oh, this is perfect. This is Well, this and is- then we ended up unpacking it together, co-hosting it again with a talented cast joining in with us, Morgan Housel, Todd Edder, a number of other voices. But the timing was very intentional because... Uh, most years, history shows, Chris, the market goes up. Up. And over any meaningful period of time, Chris, the market has gone and should go up. Right, which is important to remember, especially because a lot of us aren't investing for one year. We're investing for the next 30 years. And so looking backward from the future and reflecting on how the market has done in a year in which the market skyrockets, the year 2052. Again, we're not trying to be, Chris, we're not trying to be predictive. Heaven forbid. We're not trying to be predictive, but not only was it important to reflect on how the market will be doing over the next three decades and what that means for us today as investors, especially during a tough market year, it was delightful to reflect on the market skyrocketing, Chris. But the real challenge is thinking through what technology feels like and looks like in the year 2052. It was a fun challenge. And the the guests that we had on that episode helped us with that. And I think you set the tone perfectly early on by saying, hey, we're just going to uh, live by the rules of improv. And one of those rules is, hey, if, if someone says something, it becomes canon. 
And as the episode went along, we had more and more things that were canon. So there were things that you and I had not planned necessarily that whether it was Aaron Bush or Matt Argusinger or Emily, people just sort of like jumped in and, and mentioned something and we just accepted it going by the rules of improv. So it's like, yeah, oh, and making a reference to a company that is is around today in 2022. But it's like, oh, yeah, but remember in the 2030s, they went under and it's like, yep, I guess they did. And indeed, uh, because I had the pleasure of working with a talented improv comedian, Chris Hill, who's done that uh, in his past. And in a lot of ways, we all do that. Uh, we're all improv all the time when you think about it, but only some of us are really good at comedy. Chris, you are one, and we had some others that episode. But do you remember a couple of our tropes? The one that I definitely remember, especially it came back to me when I heard that some billionaires are competing with each other to help develop the soil, and the prospects for Greenland. So one of our key tropes is, and I, I'm starting to think this is going to happen, that Greenland in a world that is ever warming becomes this amazing potential paradise or new world. Here in 2022, nobody thinks much about Greenland. It feels like a cold, faraway place. But Chris, Greenland. Greenland and the opportunity to invest in Greenland. And it, yeah, I, I think Matt Argusinger spoke to that on the episode, uh, given his interest and expertise when it comes to real estate real investing. Estate. Um, I, I also think about how throughout the episode, we just referred vaguely to crypto and what happened to the crypto. <laughs> and it's one of those things that we all know and understand, but we never really spell out what happened to crypto. And when you think about how 2022 has gone for crypto. I think we made the right choice there. I think wow. I feel like we made the right choice. So, and we were not trying to be predictive. And I, I, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but we really are not. We're having fun. But um, yeah, so of course we could digress further and reminisce. But the whole point of the besties is to point listeners to some of the best podcasts of the year in case they didn't get to hear them. I definitely recommend the year the market skyrocketed, not just to listeners here, Chris, at the end of 2022, but I think it's going to work well in 2023, 2033, 2042. I'm probably not going to be alive. I might be alive. We might be alive in 2052. I hope to listen to it one day in that year. I think it's going to be really fun to watch how this one ages. Chris, what is one reflection you have now about that podcast we did together? One reflection I have is, and in my memory, I haven't gone back to listen to it, but in my memory, it was Todd Edder who makes the reference to self-driving cars in the year 2052 still being 10 to 20 years away. And that's something that you and I instantly latched onto because I, I don't want to speak for you, but, but I, I, my, again, my memory is that you and I both believe that self-driving cars are much further away than, say, the self-driving car bulls would have us believe. And part of the reason we think that, part of the reason I think that, is because I remember doing interviews with people 10, 12 years ago and them talking with great confidence about Two, three how self-driving self cars were going to be here in the 2020s. They were really going to start to take on mass adoption in 2025 and by 2030 they're going to be everywhere 
and here we are. We're, 2052. We're just, yeah. That's like, no. Still no, a decade they're, away. They're still 10 to 20 years away. Again, we were not trying to be predictive. Okay, Chris. Well, thank you so much for joining with me at the end of the year's best podcast, of which, Chris, you were a part, but admittedly a small part of this one. But reflecting back on another of the year's best podcasts, three to go. But you were helping me reflect back on another of the year's best podcasts. Let me ask you at close what I've been asking each of my guest stars this week. And that is, Chris Hill, what is a wish, an interesting thought, or a prediction you have for the year ahead? My prediction for 2023 is that we are going to see several high-profile, well-known CEOs of large, important American businesses announce that they are stepping down from their role as CEO. And one of those people is going to be Warren Buffett. All right. 2023 is the year that Warren Buffett finally passes the torch at Berkshire Hathaway. All right. Well, you heard it here first. And Chris, earlier I talked about how, well, predictions do kind of outdo interesting thoughts and wishes. So thank you for that. I, I won't say that you were particularly audacious with your prediction, but I do feel as if you added value to the podcast here at the very end. I was just Googling it because I couldn't remember. It's Greg Abel, who is Buffett's intended successor at Berkshire Hathaway. So, I mean, there's a company, there's a culture that has a lot of leadership and already succession plans in place, which is very impressive. In some ways, had you not said Buffett, Chris, I was thinking, is this a Nostradamus prediction where you're just speaking generically? I believe that a number of high-profile CEOs shall retire in the year. But you, you, weren't, you weren't here to Nostradamus us. I was not. That's why I wanted to give you at least one. I have a couple <laughs> others in mind, but I'm, I'm just going to stick with Buffett for now. All right, and, I, and in my defense, uh, people have been making that prediction for a while. The difference is this time, I'm the one who's right. I like it. Well, Chris Hill, thank you again. Thank you for the year the market skyrocketed and all you mean to us here at The Motley Fool and to many listening. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, my friend. And to you, David. All right. Well, thank you to every one of my special guests. Thank you for 50 stellar weeks for this podcast for this year so far. Thank you, dear listeners. I had such fun and learned a lot, and I hope you did too. And that is the heart of the besties 2022. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.